Chapter Eight of David Ransom's Watch by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight Harlan. It was by no means Hannah Stern's belief, any more than it is that of any healthy soul, that there must needs be a ruined life even after serious mistakes have been made. But that her life was dwarfed, she knew only too well that this was partly her own fault she was beginning dimly to realize she ought not to have allowed ben ransom to narrow her human interests inside the four walls of her father's farmhouse so that as the months passed she lost her place in the outside world and had no one whom she could heartily call friend had she done differently she might have made life pleasanter both for her father and grandmother while she had them why had she not seen it then? Also, her heart was sore over what she had long feared was another mistake of hers. She had been so sure that it was Ben Ransom's duty to marry Lucy that she had given him no chance for escape. She had not for a moment imagined that he really wanted to escape. Of course he wanted the girl. Why else should he kiss and caress her? She could understand that his suit to herself might have been a matter of policy, a suggestion of Satan to a young man to secure wealth and position at a single bound. But Lucy he had loved. Since she also loved him with all her young, foolish heart, and was a respectable girl, with a fair amount of common sense and a good deal of native shrewdness that would soon make up for what she lacked in culture, why should she not develop into a woman of whom her husband could be proud? Hannah Stearns had meant to help her. She had hurried the marriage because she had believed that it would be better for all of them to have so much irrevocably settled. After that she meant to do for them both all that a woman in her position could do, and they had given her no chance. Not once did the girl whose cause she had so thoroughly espoused come to say, as Hannah had expected that she would, I owe my happiness to you. Worse than that, not many months passed before there were rumors that there was very little happiness between those two whose fortunes Hannah Stearns had united. Ben Ransom began to be quoted as unpardonably careless of his wife's pleasure or comfort, as indulging in fits of moodiness, as being at times actually cross. There were even hints that he had taunted her occasionally with her inferiority. There had been an angry light in Miss Stearns's eyes when she heard that last, and could she have believed that there was truth in it, she would have been able to convince herself that the man she had loved was not worthy of any woman's love. But she charged much of the talk to gossips. Still, they had some foundation, enough to make her feel that she had made a grave mistake, that Mr. Ransom ought never to have married the poor girl. There were times when she questioned whether it could be possible that the man pledged to one woman and lavishing tenderness on another had cared for neither. Heretofore, her world had been narrow and respectable. She had not known that there were such men. Perhaps it will not be possible for people who do not know her well to realize what a humiliation it was to Miss Stearns to feel herself in any way associated with faithlessness to solemn pledges. 
a long line of ancestors noted even among honourable people for their rigid adherence to their pledged word had deepened this trait in her character until it was with a sort of puzzled wonder that she asked herself how could benjamin ransom how could any man having once taken vows upon himself do other than try with all the force within him to live up to them it must be that he was trying perhaps that poor little untrained girl he had chosen did not know how to meet him halfway she must be helped and hannah stearns told herself firmly that she was the one to help her there seemed to be no one else she must put away pride and family dignity and force herself upon the girl if necessary and be her friend help her in spite of herself if need be and save her life save both their lives to home and honor and then just as she had reached this decision they disappeared from her world she went one day to the store in town and asked for mr ransom's street and number only to learn that two days before he had severed his connection with the store and moved away moved out of town they could not tell her where he had gone not even the heads of the firm whom she insisted upon seeing could give her so much as a hint to be quite plain they told her mr ransom had not been giving full satisfaction of late in fact there had been a decided change in him and not for the better one of the partners had felt it necessary to have a serious talk with him and he had resented it had replied in a manner that was offensive and then without an hour's notice had chosen to leave them at a time when he must have known it would especially inconvenience them however they had decided to make no effort to get him back and had heard but that morning that he had left the city the utmost that they knew about it was that he had taken a westbound through train and that he had told one of their employees who chanced to meet him at the station that they were off for good with this miss stearns was compelled to be content diligent search conducted of course in a quiet and circumscribed way had failed to give her any clue to the whereabouts of the couple who had thus cast themselves aloof from their best friend and she was compelled to that hardest of all tasks for an honest and active nature the endurance of her own mistakes without making an effort to right them the black box was empty at last save for that bit of coral miss hannah remembered the morning that she had taken it from the mantel and rushed with it as though it were a thing alive to the black box and dropped it in her only definite thought being that she must get it out of her sight she reached for it presently stood it on her table and stared at it gravely a poor broken thing but it had been a family treasure for the sake of grandfather stearns's sailor boy at last she took it in one resolute hand and her lamp in the other went down the long halls and stairs that separated her from the parlor and placed the broken bit beside the larger one where it had lain for years and years there she said aloud that's done with now i'll go to bed several months from that time a very different scene was being enacted in miss stearns's room over in the dimmest corner hands firmly clasped behind him 
on his face a look of determination and his whole attitude that of as resolute a rebel as ever wore kilts stood harlan kingsbury jr making as good an exhibition of the kingsbury temper as a boy of four could well manage instead of being between two and three as mrs henry collins had carelessly quoted him young harlan was nearing his fourth birthday when he reached miss hannah's home and now had passed that anniversary on the couch opposite him sat miss hannah erect and motionless watching her rebel the floor from the door to miss hannah's favorite chair was thickly strewn with rose leaves red and white and pale yellow nearly five months had passed since the stearns farmhouse had opened to receive the orphan months of experience on miss hannah's part such as she had not dreamed the world could have in store for her in every sense of the word the coming of the new member of the family had meant an invasion miss hannah and her faithful helper and friend miranda had settled it before his advent that they too with nothing to do except keep the house in order could take care of the child without any troublesome nurse girl to pick up after and to this new and wonderful task they had bent their energies with what degree of success only they two knew there were days when mistress and maid avoided each other's eyes and managed affairs so as to make a private interview impossible lest each should have to own to failure miss hannah had theories with regard to the management of children what woman of forty especially if she be childless has not among other important lessons the boy must of course be taught to obey not only that but he must obey promptly miss hannah declared that unquestioning and cheerful obedience must be the first law she would have no lagging nor sulking about her she had always thought that sulkiness in a child was of all things to be deplored of course this child must also be trained to the other virtues orderliness quietness respectfulness probably the poor boy had not received such training since it seemed that according to mrs collins his mother had always been an invalid but she did not doubt her ability to make up to him all losses of this kind indeed she went to sleep for several nights with visions of the model boy she was to bring up floating not unpleasantly before her mind but that was before harlan kingsbury arrived now after almost five months of as careful teaching as ever a boy had she sat before as determined a rebel as the country could produce after five months of training in unquestioning and cheerful obedience he had stamped his small strong foot and said i won't with as much firmness as six feet of manhood could have shown more than that he had said it two hours before and had repeated the obnoxious word as often as the command had been reissued also the first scene in this act of rebellion had taken place before breakfast and the small rebel had not eaten a mouthful that day to say nothing of miss hannah who had nearly choked over her few mouthfuls of dry toast let it be recorded that for the first time in her life miss hannah was at her wit's end when at stated periods she left the small culprit to himself 
in the hope that through solitude he might be led to consider the error of his ways, she wandered aimlessly about the house, unable to set herself at any of her usual employments, only one definite purpose being kept in mind, to avoid Miranda. Once she sought her well-filled bookshelves, but looked in vain for any dissertation on child life that would tell her how soon there might be danger of starvation. The question haunting her was, suppose the child should continue to refuse to do her bidding? She had said he could have nothing to eat until he did, and he looked not one whit nearer the giving up than he had at the first moment. Suppose he should hold out? Had anybody ever heard of such a case? Miss Hannah stood aghast before the possibilities. There was an alternative almost as awful to her soul as starvation. Miranda had suggested it nearly an hour before, or rather she had spoken it squarely in all its baldness. If I was you, I'd spank him. Miss Hannah had recoiled from the words as if a hand had struck her. It happened that she had held all her life a deep-grained aversion to the mere thought of all such punishment. She had been known to say, with a firm setting of her lips, that more than one embarrassed mother recalled, that a woman who could not manage a child without striking him as though he were a beast had no business to have one to manage. On this trying morning she cast a withering glance upon Miranda as she said with dignity, "'If he were a mule I would, but since he is a human being—' Miranda finished the sentence for her. "'Well, I'm sure he is acting as much like a mule this morning as a critter with two legs could.' Miss Hannah went out of the room at once, but the disagreeable suggestion went with her. Though living in the days when such methods of family discipline were almost universal, she had never been spanked, her gentle mother seeming always able to manage satisfactorily, at least to herself, without this. The fact might have helped to account for her daughter's aversion to it yet she found herself asking more than once during that long drawn-out morning whether or not it were possible that there might be exceptional cases in which it was really necessary to resort to such means certainly all her theories of government were being sorely tested that morning she saw herself involved in the intricacies of a problem which she could find no way to solve and she had reached it by so insignificant a path that, if an important principle were not at stake, it could have all been overlooked. What, after all, were a few rose-leaves? As it was, she was the victim of that self-accusing thought which many a mother will appreciate. If I only hadn't made so much of it in the first place! Still, she had not meant to make much of it. She had come in haste to her room, which had been left but an hour before in immaculate order, to find it strewn from door to window with rose-leaves. And in the centre of this fragrant litter stood Harlan, his dark blue skirt quite wet, and his strong little shoes well plastered with damp earth. Nor did he look like a repentant sinner. On the contrary, his face glowed with satisfaction. Miss Hannah's words had been sharp and to the point, the evidence of both disobedience and wanton mischief were before her, and she made their enormity plain to him, 
closing with the following now young man you may set to work and pick those rose leaves up every one of them i'll warrant you will find it harder than it was to scatter them and not a mouthful of breakfast shall you have until every one is gathered if at that moment she had been studying the culprit's face she might have been bewildered by its rapid changes astonishment disappointment indignation struggled for possession indignation conquered and expressed itself harlan won't pick them up thus had the issue been raised returning to her rebel after a longer absence than usual and after she had painfully considered miranda's advice miss hannah found him in the corner where she had left him and the moment his eyes rested on her he clasped those knotty hands behind his back and repeated firmly that obnoxious word harlan won't then a strange thing happened suddenly a sense of humiliating failure overwhelmed miss hannah it seemed to her that each effort she had ever made for others had been a mistake resulting disastrously what had become of that poor lucy now here was this boy whom she had and then that strange thing happened miss hannah who very rarely shed tears never save in the privacy of her room with door locked and shades closely drawn felt them one after another rolling down her mortified face and she hadn't even a handkerchief with which to protect herself a pair of keen eyes in the far corner saw them distinctly and they worked an instant and marvellous change on his determined little face he made a rush across the room scattering rose leaves recklessly as he clambered to the couch and rained kisses on miss hannah's eyes on her nose anywhere talking eagerly the while don't cry aunt hannah i'll pick up every one i won't be naughty any more i made a path for you like the picture it was harlan's one baby word i thought you'd like it tom gave them to me out by the bars but i'll pick every one up and i won't be naughty ever any more light began to dawn upon miss hannah's mind the picture a colored print in an old magazine representing the children strewing the path of royalty with flowers he had made a path of rose leaves for her and he had not disobeyed and picked the roses but had planned with tom to gather them for him from the hedge and she had been hard and cruel and half an hour afterward when miranda knocked at the door and was bidden to enter she saw a surprising scene two people sat prone on the floor among the rose leaves picking industriously and talking oh yes aunt hannah was saying there will be enough here for two rose pillows well well miranda remarked to herself as she turned away from miss hannah's door without saying the words she had come to say i guess it's true that there's no fool like an old fool then she chuckled but as soon as she was back at her pie making she proceeded to make a little round pie in a saucer with harlan pricked into the crust with a fork End of chapter 8